Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and this week on the show, I'm joined by our head of consulting, Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hey, Dom. How are you doing? I'm good. Hey, a couple of weeks ago, or fairly recently, we talked about moving a culture from the passive you know, side of the circumplex to constructive. And I thought what might be interesting is then to do the other side, right? So from yeah. aggressive to constructive, you know, what are some of the, I guess, the, the typical or key things people might need to look at if they suspect an, an aggressive culture? Yeah. Before we maybe get going into, you know, what are the things you can do and all that kind of stuff, Corinne, maybe we just define our terms. So what do we mean when we talk about an aggressive culture? What would people see or experience? What would be those, you know, beliefs and expectations of behavior in that kind of culture? Yeah. Great question, Dom. I think of aggressive defensive cultures as being uh, reflecting the three Ps. Okay. So- Uh Pace, pressure, prestige, okay? Uh-huh. And so aggressive defensive cultures, what people would see tend to be a very fast-paced environment, a lot of pressure and a lot of, when I say prestige, it's this pressure to actually look good. So you have very little time in order to make sure that your reputation, your image is intact and you feel like you've got to look good in order to survive and fit in. Uh And so some of the characteristics that go with it is a very short-term task-focused culture. So people feel that they're expected to prioritise the job over and above anything else, Uh okay, and people come second Uh to that. So as a result, an aggressive defensive culture tends to be more about self-interest And people get the message that they have to prioritize I or me over we. Yes, or even we, our department, over the organization kind of stuff. That's right. And so then you'd get kind of a silo because Uh the emphasis is that we have to look good, we have to be better than anybody else, and so we've got to just focus on what will help us achieve those self-interests. So so it's optimizing but not at the overall level we're optimizing at the sub level and therefore it potentially leads to you know suboptimal outcomes actually at the overall exactly level. i was going to say that so the intention is to be optimal by creating this incredible narrow focus but in actual fact it ends up creating silos it ends up creating internal competition which from an you know an enterprise level or an organization level that is suboptimal it doesn't help the organization get to where it needs to be overall. And it also is very suboptimal for customers. So customers who often deal with cultures that are aggressive defensive feel that they're being pushed to buy things that they don't want mm. and feel like they're being they're having to meet the needs of the organization rather than being treated like a client. So mm. they're being put second to the organization's needs because they feel that their experience of an organization with an aggressive sales salesperson is that it's all about the salesperson getting their numbers versus actually providing a good, great sort of customer experience. 
So with an aggressive defensive culture, they typically happen, they create a threatening environment. So what they have and what they end up creating are norms where people feel like they're trying to play, they're trying to stay safe and survive by doing things like deflecting blame, Uh by focusing on their work, by withholding information that could be available to other people because it'll mean that, you know, it won't make them look as good. They stay safe by trying to look as if they're on top of everything, probably set safe goals so that they don't fail Uh because it's such a job-centric, task-oriented culture the expectation is very high and there's very little tolerance for mistakes or what would be perceived as failure. So it's, it's dangerous to fail. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's absolutely. So you know that saying, sometimes if there's it's a very heavy, high, aggressive, defensive culture, it can feel a bit like it's a dog-eat-dog world. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the mm-hmm. experience of the culture and sometimes – I describe the experience of being in that organisation as feeling like you're a a bit of a hostage, right? So people feel that they don't have any choice, they have to do these things. Got to be tough. Yep, they've got to be tough, they've got to keep going, they've got to try and, you know, stand out amongst their peers, they've got to point the finger at other people so that they look good. So even though they might not necessarily like it, they feel that they've got to do that in order to feel safe. You know, one of the traps I reckon of that kind of culture, it feels like we're doing stuff. <laughs> you know, it feels I'm busy. There's lots of discussions going on. But to me, it's all kind of misspent energy because it's winning internal fights, you know, internal territory wars and all this kind of stuff that don't matter to the customer. And in fact, they actually degrade the customer's experience and, and the overall business results, you know. Yes. On the whole, yes. And- What I would say is that one of the things with aggressive defensive cultures is they get things done. They do get things done, but it's short term Mm. and it comes at a cost. Mm. And so the cost is usually burnout and stress and you actually, you know, risk a lot of turnover and engagement gets low because people are tired and Mm. they're, you know, apart from everything that you're saying, that even if, and this is why organisations I think get drawn into thinking that a little bit of red is good or, you know, a lot of red is good because they feel that it's kind of rational, tough talking, get things done, you know, we don't kind of mess about. But it comes at a cost in terms of people feeling like they're able to speak up, people feeling like they're able to be a good cooperative team player. So it's, you know, at lower levels, like everything on the circumplex in terms of the well in terms of the the red and the green a little bit of it might be functional mm. might even be useful you know like if you've got a little bit of oppositional in the culture encourages people to think critically and not take things at face value mm. but if you've got too much of it in a culture then it means that it's really hard to get ideas past because they'll there's always a down. yes exactly they'll mm-hmm. get shot down and there'll always be somebody say yes but because mm-hmm. yeah, that's the culture. And actually only the safest ideas, middle of the road ideas get through because you can't shoot them down. You know, anything yeah. that's a bit more out there yeah. uh, gets torn apart. So if that's an aggressive culture, you know, and we want to move from that to constructive, you know, maybe what are some of the key differences with a constructive culture as opposed to an aggressive one? 
Well, we go back to the circumplex and aggressive culture triggers insecurities. Uh-huh. So the most fundamental difference between an aggressive defensive or a red culture and a blue culture, constructive culture, is a constructive culture encourages satisfaction, the meeting of satisfaction needs. Uh-huh. Essentially what that means is I feel safe. Uh-huh. Okay, I feel safe. I feel safe because I know what's expected of me. I feel safe because I have a leader that supports me. I feel safe because I've got a team that's got my back. I feel safe because I am recognized and rewarded. I'm fairly challenged. So I feel safe, psychologically safe. So we hear a lot about psychological safety, and that's one of the true inherent characteristics of a constructive culture. It feels safe. And so I think the the key to me on hearing that, because safe could, some people might hear that as kind of passive or something, right? Yeah, but but yeah. The, the, the key to me is I feel safe, therefore I can give stuff a go. Therefore, I can take a calculated risk. Therefore, I can take ownership as opposed to, you know, pointing the finger at others. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, if I fail, I'll own that kind of stuff because I don't feel like I'm, you know, going to be in jeopardy kind of thing, which you can under that aggressive culture. Yeah, that's exactly right, Dom. I think about, you know, one of the things that I learned once upon a time, and I think it's a great management tool and frame to think about for leaders and also for culture is that, Think that you've got two levers. You've got challenge and you've got safety. And so if you've got an aggressive defensive culture, you know, if you imagine a seesaw or a scale, it's all challenge, no safety. Okay. So if you've got too much challenge, too much intensity, too much pace, too much pressure in a culture and you don't have any safety, then there's no room for people to feel confident about what they're doing because they're constantly looking over their shoulder. Uh They constantly got their guard up. And so it means that you don't get any real stretch You're not striving. You're not striving. You may also find that you get these safe goals and so people aren't really working to their optimal level. And so I think it's a good way to think about it. So from moving to an aggressive defensive culture, you want to go to a constructive culture you got to make it safer. And so you've got to, if you can think of those as scales, you want to balance out, you want to sort of put some more weight on that safety side in order that people can be challenged, but they're supported and encouraged to succeed with a challenge, not to feel like they they might fail. Yes. So their their goal is then to excel rather than to protect or something like that. Correct. Right? Yep. Or to beat. Or to beat, yeah. Yeah. So if that's kind of the difference between those cultures, what are some of the key levers that typically come up? You know, so things yeah. we typically see that lead to a, a aggressive culture and therefore, you know, what are the, some of the tweaks we might want to make to send a different message about what's expected? Yeah, look, the good news, Dom, is there's some fairly clear things that people can work on or, or that characterize it. One of the things is goal setting. I think we talked about this last podcast when we talked about how to shift to a uh, constructive from passive, but mm. goal setting is super important in developing culture because what it does is to set the level in terms of the kind of effort that's required. Mm. And so in an aggressive defensive culture, the um, trap will be setting goals that are too hard, okay, too ambitious and or outside the capacity of the person delivering it. So for example, 
it could be that one of my KPRs is to increase the market focus on XYZ, you know, well, I may not have all the control over what the market looks like. So that's not a great goal to set for me. Right. So I can't meaningfully influence it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the goal has to be fairly challenging and within the scope and the ability of the person who you're expecting to deliver it. Yeah. So I I kind of think of this one, Corinne, as like if the goal's we want challenging but realistic goals. If it's not realistic, I don't believe it's actually possible to get there. Then my attention shifts from, you know, how do I get there to how do I protect myself when it inevitably fails? Because it's going to. Yeah. You know, so how right. can I make sure I pin it on, you know, that Someone department else. over there? <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, right? Yeah. How, how do yeah. I make sure? Well, I would have got there, but, you know, these guys in marketing or, you know, the people in customer service or whatever, right? They, you know, marked it up for me kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that you end up doing if it's too hard is that you spend your time trying to prepare the ground to make somebody make it look like somebody else's failure. Right. But the other thing that you might do is cut corners, uh-huh. okay? You might actually sell things to your clients that they don't want and create a negative experience. And so I think there's lots of good reasons why – you know, goal setting practices is such a such an awesome tool in an organization, but you've really got to get the goal just right. And the key thing is it's got to be within their capacity to deliver it. It's got to be within their control. Uh, okay, so uh, if it's outside of their control, there's no point holding them accountable for it because it's not within their control. So I think the first thing is with goal setting is you've got to shift it from being too hard. Now, when it's too hard, it either means too ambitious for the time frame. Yep. So it's going to be not enough time or there's too much that needs to be done within the time frame. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's unrealistic. It means that there's no, when you look at it logically, there's no way of actually achieving it. So I think, you know, one of the other ways of moving towards more of constructive culture, so if we summarize that, we're saying is make sure that the goals are fair and challenging and also that they're within the person's ability to control uh-huh. and that it's clear the resources that they've got to be able to, de- to use to deliver that goal. Yep, beautiful. What's next? So that's kind of yeah. goal setting. What, what else are the typical things that we see shaping an aggressive culture? Look, one of the things that I think is increasingly can shape an aggressive culture is the level of job insecurity. And it's one of those things that I think probably since the GFC, we've seen a kind of a floating anxiety. I call it floating anxiety. So in our culture data, what we see is this increasing levels of people feeling insecure about their job. And we saw it from GFC. We've seen it as part of the COVID impact as well, mm-hmm. where people worry about if they have a job. Now, if someone's worried about whether they've got a job or whether they can rely on their job being there, they go into protective mode. They go into survival mode. Makes sense. And so that means that they're going into make sure that they look good. They might claim credit for stuff that's not theirs. They might make sure that they're pointing the finger at somebody else for a mistake that's happened in their area. It could be that they end up setting really safe goals so they can never look bad 
I'm making sure I send an email about everything we discussed. So if it blows <laughs> up, right. I'm covered my ass, you know. That's right. You get the, what is it, a CMA, cover my ass, some yep. kind of culture where you copy everybody and everything. So job insecurity is a tough one though, right, for organisations to do something about because sometimes it's a rare organisation that can guarantee these days that jobs are secure. And, but- and look, I don't think you can ever guarantee that but I do see organizations and where it's like every 12 to 18 months, there's a massive restructure, you know, and, and sometimes it's, um, you know, we, we have the organization where, you know, we centralize everything and then every second year we decentralize it yes. and then we centralize it again. And we, you know, we pull in the big four consultants yeah. or whatever, not to name yeah. any names, you know, and, and we change the strategy and we decentralize, you know, and it's just ad nauseum, repeat, repeat, repeat kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, so, and I think that's right, Dom. I think that the more restructures and the more recent the restructures have been, the more you get this flow on effect to people feeling like their jobs are at risk. Even where, and I've worked in organisations where there hasn't been a recent restructure, they've gone on the record and said that there are no plans to do a restructure, but one happened maybe a year and a half ago and it was really traumatic and it just hasn't left people's memories. And so what I would say to organisations, even if you're in the midst of a restructure and things are coming, you know, down the track and you can't put people's minds at rest in terms of their job security, there's a couple of things that you can do. One of the things that you can do is to provide regular and honest communication and information, okay? So just keep a continuous line of communication coming that is really about what you can communicate, what you can be certain of. The other thing that you can do is actually if you can't give certainty, then give more autonomy. So give people a few more choices. Make the goal horizon, instead of it being six months, bring it into like three months and six months or 90-day increments so that people feel like they're exercising more autonomy over the work that they're doing and in the way that they're doing their work. So I think communication is key. I think it's important for leaders to be in constant touch with their people so that there's a rhythm, an operating rhythm to how often teams meet and how often people speak to their leader because that all helps to provide a sense of stability. Okay, so if you can't guarantee, you know, can't give job security, what you're looking for is to give some structure because in the absence of certainty, structure helps provide some safety. And I guess outside, we're thinking of kind of restructures, common restructures, which, yeah. which is often a theme, I think, nowadays. But this question's also getting to, you know, there's the organizations, the, the rank and yank or whatever, the top 10% go every, oh, the bottom 10% go every stack, year. The stack, yeah. That kind of stuff, which obviously is going to drive competitive norms, right? We can all hear that just from saying it. What else? What else, Corinne? So we talked about job insecurity, goal setting. The other thing is what happens in aggressive defensive cultures is the sense of disempowerment. So I might Mm. be asked to do new things or um, get thrown in the deep end, the proverbial Uh deep end. And so I'm given new responsibilities, but I'm not actually shown, it's not explained to me how I ought to do that. I don't get any time to learn it or to practice Mm -hmm. it, and I just literally get given it and have to perform straight away. And so I'm running blind. 
And so that, and I may not be given any tools or any resources to help me become effective at it. And that's a real example of disempowerment. So we often think of empowerment, Dom, as decision making, you know, so I have the power to go and act. But this kind of empowerment is also about whether I'm set up for success. Yes. You know, am I given time? Exactly. Am I given time? Am I given tools? Am I given instruction? Am I given encouragement? Am I given support? Mm. Because if you're not given those things, but the expectation is high that you're going to be able to deliver something that you've never done before, then that is a very threatening situation and it completely disempowers people. Right. And it's back to that psychological safety thing. I feel like there's high risk of failing, therefore I'm going to go on the offensive kind of stuff. And, you know, to your point, so just to reiterate it, sometimes we think of empowerment as giving people the authority. Corinne, you can make the decision, you know, here's what it says on the chart or whatever. You can make that decision. Cool. But we also need to give sufficient clarity. What are we trying to achieve? Capability. Do they have the training, you know, time to practice, that kind of stuff? Yeah. You know, do they have the resources that they need, you know, or or are they short of time, short of equipment, short of whatever it is they need? So essentially they're set up to fail and therefore need to protect themselves from it or constructively, do we set them up for success? Yeah. And I think the other side of that is if you're in an aggressive defensive culture and you're being asked to do something new and you don't have any of those tools, support, encouragement, clarity Mm-hmm. on the outcome required, because I'm in a, an aggressive defensive culture and it's important to me that I look good, I'm not going to ask questions yeah. and I'm not even going to let anybody know that I don't have any idea what I'm doing. And so there's a good chance that I might wing it, okay? Mm. And so the more people are with every sort of attempt, so you want people to take calculated risks, but you don't want people to feel like they're sticking their neck out and they're out on their own because if they – they may not be in a position to judge whether it's a good risk or a bad risk. Right. Okay. And if if it's a bad risk, then that's going to have a lot of blowback on the organization. Uh-huh. Totally. Okay. So goal setting, job insecurity, disempowerment. What else? I think leadership, of course. We can't course. have a conversation around culture without leadership. <laughs> yep. So in a aggressive defensive culture, leaders contribute to the norms by sort of the old command and control style, so telling, directing, and also called managing by exception. So the focus, anything good gets taken for granted in terms of any work that is done well gets taken for granted, but any mistake, anything that doesn't go to plan will have a massive spotlight on it. And so that's managing by exception, looking at the thing rather than excellence. So in a constructive culture, You'd have leaders acknowledging and recognizing what's working, what they've done well, versus and catching them doing things well, rather than actually amplifying the mistakes. So to me, there's you know big downside if I get it wrong. In an aggressive culture, there is upside if I get it right, but yeah. it's not so much recognition; it's more the reward and yes. recognition. So it's like. You get, you're driven by if-then rewards, so bonuses, stuff like that. Yeah. And bonuses can be useful. That actually might be a whole topic on its own because they're like tricky things to get right. But if, if it's only the recognition is all kind of monetary incentives versus, you know, and if I get it wrong, I'm going to get punished in some kind of way, publicly criticized, stuff like that. 
right? That will drive an aggressive culture, whereas we want high recognition, you know, and some reward, sure. And rather than criticism, we're going to help, we're going to support people. Yeah. Right? So if I fell short of the mark, rather than being criticized, I'm going to be supported. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's a balance, right? So it's not about, I, you know, often you talk to leaders who are, who really believe in this kind of command control and directing and task orientation. When you challenge them on them, they go over to, you don't want to be soft and fluffy as if there's no integrated, you know, balance where you can keep the intensity in the challenge. But what we're asking people to do, if you really want to move to constructive culture, is you've got to lift the safety. So it means you've got to lift the coaching, you've got to lift the support, you've got to lift the encouragement so that you help people take responsibility for what it is that they've got to deliver. 100%. I've got a whole little speech I'm working on about being tough is easy. You know, yeah. being aggressive and aggressively is easy. I furrow my brow a little. Yeah. I, dro- I drop it down an octave. Canter. You know, you need to pull up your socks yeah. kind of stuff. It's easy to give that kind of speech, actually. Yeah. You know, it's harder and to challenge people constructively. It's a harder thing to do, but it's much more effective. That's right. There's actually less discipline required yeah. in being aggressive, defensive. Exactly. You know, a lot of the leaders who like being aggressive, defensive, don't like well, that, <laughs> it, saying that. It sounds good. Yeah. that's kind of what we think of, mm. you know, as effective leadership from back in the day, you know, but it's not. It leads me to another one, Corinne, which mm. is, and you kind of were mentioning it then, is just a belief that aggressive is the way to go. Yeah. You know, some people just, you know, value competition. Like, hey, like turning it into a competition between teammates gets better yes. results. Like there's yes. just a belief in that. Yeah, that's right. And I've heard it so many times where, Leaders who have played individual sports, or maybe they just have this fundamental mindset that a friendly competition, you know, it'll spur each side on to do more. And really, there's no evidence to suggest that that actually really works. And what it can do is actually put people's focus on the wrong thing. Okay. So people don't focus on excellence. They're not focusing on personal best. They're focusing on beating someone. You know, so getting from position three on the table to position two. And that isn't the end game here. That isn't what the goal should be around. And that isn't what the outcome that the organization's looking for. The organization's looking for people to do their very best, give their best effort to deliver their best work within the capacity that they've got. So I think it's very seductive. And we've done a lot of stuff on competitive Mm. to think that it motivates people and with some people, it actually may motivate them, but it doesn't motivate everybody. And you've got to balance it so that you're not unconsciously, inadvertently creating a chasm, a split or a silo uh-huh. within your own team and bad feelings. So, you know, it comes often at the cost of collaboration, cooperation. So that's interesting to me. You know, we, we talk about mission and philosophy when we look at culture. And sometimes I think it's overlooked is what is the philosophy of the leadership team? You know, how do we want to lead people and manage people in this organization? You know, how do we motivate people in this organization? All that kind of stuff is a really interesting conversation to have. Are we actually aligned at that level in those beliefs or not? You know, fascinating, I reckon. It's a great, well, I think, you know, we don't pay a lot of attention, but it really sits at that bottom of the iceberg in terms of unconscious beliefs and 
philosophy and what our assumptions about what drives high performance. So I think it's a great point to make. So I think, you know, there we've had a few things, goal setting, job insecurity, uh, disempowerment, management by exception. We've talked about the need to recognize as well as reward. And you're right, in aggressive defensive culture, the bias seems to be towards incentive, financial incentives rather than actually shared incentives or And that was the other thing I was going to say is in an aggressive defensive culture, you often have talk of team, but you only have individual KPIs. You don't have team KPIs and you only have individual rewards. You don't have team recognition or reward. Absolutely. So awesome. Thanks, Corinne. So that will give people, you know, if if it was ringing bells when Corinne was describing the aggressive culture, you know, maybe those are some things to look at, some things to think about. You know, all stuff that we measure in our culture survey, the OCI, OEI, right, what's, what is your culture? Why is it that way? You know, that's kind of what we're talking about. And that, that's the key. That's some stuff that it might be, you know, so have a think about those, right? Have a think about those. And of course, the, the survey can help us zoom in on what's actually going on and therefore where to spend our energy, effort, focus, all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Thank you very much today, Corinne. Thanks, Dom. Thanks for having me. See you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia. All rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au. In today's episode of Culture Bites, we talked about the How Culture Works model. The How Culture Works model is from the Organizational Culture Inventory and Organizational Effectiveness Inventory. The feedback report for these surveys and other culture change resources are copyrighted by Human Synergistics International. Research and development by Robert A. Cook and J. Clayton Lafferty. All rights reserved. Please contact us if you would like to review any of these resources for organizational change and development.